Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. It has been four weeks since the Parkland, Florida high school shooting claimed the lives of 17 people, including 14 students. Last week, Florida Governor Rick Scott signed the first gun control legislation enacted in the state after the Parkland School Massacre on February 14th. The law, known as the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Act, tightens gun control in several ways, including raising the age to buy rifles and other long guns from 18 to 21. It also allows teachers to be armed. Will North Carolina follow suit? What should we do? We're going to discuss policy on today's show in the second of two episodes focused on how best to protect our children. Now, before we tackle our main topic, we open with headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. President Trump unveiled his first proposal in the wake of the school shooting in Florida this week, and it includes firearms training for some school teachers and support for a bill to tighten the federal background check system. Now, noticeably absent was a proposal to raise the age to buy rifles and other long guns like the AR-15 from 18 to 21. The president had previously voiced support for an age change. He also announced the creation of a new federal commission on school safety to be chaired by Education Secretary Betsy DeVos that will make recommendations. A new poll out from Elon University, the News and Observer, and the Charlotte Observer found that 78% of North Carolina educators believe arming teachers is a bad idea. More than 65% of the teachers said arming teachers would actually harm the overall school learning environment, and 61% said they believed it would make schools less safe. Last week, Superior Court Judge David Lee, who is presiding over the ongoing school funding case known as Leandro, ruled against the State Board of Education's request to be dropped from the lawsuit. He said hundreds of thousands of North Carolina students still aren't getting their constitutional right to a sound basic education. And finally, State Superintendent Mark Johnson unveiled a new effort to boost early literacy by providing $4.8 million in new funds to K-3 teachers to buy books, digital subscription and, uh, subscriptions, and other reading aids. The new allotment comes to about $200 per teacher in those grades and will be distributed this month to school districts and charter schools. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org and click on and, and we can read the headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. Now, last week on the show, we talked to students, teachers, and a school psychologist about how to protect students. This week, we're talking policy. And joining us from the North Carolina General Assembly, we have two people who know a lot about this subject. We have Representative Linda Johnson. Representative Johnson has, Johnson has served nine terms in the House, and she was recently appointed to the House Select Committee on School Safety that will hold its first meeting next week. We have, and then next to her, we have Senator Jay Shottery. Jay <coughs> is in his first term in the Senate, Democrat, representing Wake County. Um, Jay, before he was in the North Carolina Senate, actually spent several years in the Attorney General's office working on issues of school safety. So uh, we appreciate both of you coming on. Thank you. Representative Johnson, I want to ask you first, um, because you're, you're actually on the, um, the, the committee that, for the vehicle that, that, that changes and proposals might come on. I mentioned at the top of the show, Florida just passed a bill. Um, uh, governor signed into law. This is a state that is 
um, you know, even more sort of Republican conservative than North Carolina. You've got the uh, same numbers in the legislature. You have Rick Scott, the governor. They raised the, the age for um, purchasing rifles from 18 to 21, passed some other things. Do you think that that's going to happen? Do you think that is something that we should explore in North Carolina? And would you, um, as, a, as a representative, support an effort you know, to raise the age for guns like the AR-15? Well, first, um, North Carolina is different. Uh, we are southern, and we are in the southern regional area. Uh, but in our charge for our school safety uh, committee, there was not, no mention of that, although we do have uh, justice and public safety in that committee. The committee was charged with uh, doing surveillance and, and different types of training. And in 2011, we began working on school safety. And in two 2013, we passed legislation. Uh, that has been four years. That's enough evidence to prove whether something is working or not. And I think we're going to take that data and try to figure out what is best and how to improve on the legislation that we already have. Right. Now, Speaker Moore, set, he set this, I mean, he set the committee up. So, I mean, is it, uh, you mentioned the charge in the first meeting. I, I'm guessing, though, that it, it, I mean, it, you, it's going to be up to the committee to sort of decide, sort of looking at everything across the board. So, what should we, we do as a state? I mean, is there, well, or are you saying that there are sort of some things that are already off the table, I guess? Um, I think anything is up to subject to discussion because it's going to be inclusive of public and, and our government entities. Um, and the general public and our teachers, of course. And that will be going on during the committee. It is a long-term committee. At the uh, press conference, we tried to stress that. We have very little time to get in for so short session. Right, that's right. And in 2013, uh, the governor um, established a committee, and he included... Um, um, all types, mental health, health and human services, um, and the public safety, right. and they have uh, data also. So I'm sure we'll be going right. through all of that data to figure out what is possible right. to help our students. Well, let me get to you, uh, Senator Chaudhary. Um, you th uh, and I do want to talk about mental health and the other pieces of it, but I do want to go back to the gun piece because you've been out there. Um, you were participating in some of the rallies uh, here in Raleigh. You think that um, the issue of access to guns ought to be considered in the mix of everything else? I do, uh, but to your larger question, I mean, I think the comprehensive approach, if you look at the emergency management response to a critical incident like a school shooting, should focus on prevention, intervention, and the response to a school shooting. I think when we talk about prevention, it's hard to not talk about prevention without discussing access to guns. And so uh, to your question, yes, I think that should be part of what the committee uh, focuses on, and I think it should be part of a larger debate that we're having here in the state. Right. Uh, Representative Johnson, you've been a longtime uh, uh, friend of public schools, worked in public education issues. You know, we've talked about um, things like school, you know, school counselors and school psychologists. Do you think that's something that um, the committee and the General Assembly ought to look at to say, like, we, we talked about this last week, we have one school psychologist for every 2,000 students, which is about three times the recommended average. 
that could be something that there could be some bipartisan support, right? Yes, I visited with a psychologist three or four times in the last couple of years. Uh, there seems to be a, a large problem in uh, getting psychologists in the, in the school system. Um, even though our number is high, we do not have that many. Right. Um, we addressed uh, almost all educator uh, related salaries in the last General Assembly, but we did not uh, change their salary. Right. That being because we don't truly understand it. It works with health and human services right. and federal monies, and that needed more work. Right. Let me ask you, Senator Schott, I want to ask you about the, the building on that, but what else should we be doing? You've, like, you've studied this before. Is it, is it about hardening the schools or things we can do that way? arming teachers has been floated, arming volunteers. I mean, what, is, what do you think we should be doing? Well, I think, I mean, I think one area where there's common ground is to focus on the mental health initiative. Uh, President Trump has talked about that. I think it's something that the committee's talked about. You talked about the school psychologist ratio of one, one psychologist for 2,000 students. It should be a one at 750. Right. We should make sure that we've got counselors, more school counselors in every school building uh, in the state. We need to have more school nurses. That's what we can do on the mental health side. Uh, certainly on the response side, as uh, Representative Johnson mentioned, we have the Center for Safer Schools at the Department of Public Instruction. I don't think that they have done an update on the number of school resource officers that we have in schools across the state, so it would be good to get that information up to date so we can focus on uh, making sure that we have school resource offices on the response side. And then I would say on the intervention pre prevention side, I'm obviously looking at um, some common sense gun measures. I think the one area where we've seen a lot of overlap between conservatives and uh, progressives is this idea of the extreme risk protective order, which essentially would allow a family or a friend who believes that someone is in imminent danger of, of being a threat to someone, bringing that information to a judge who can make a decision as to whether to remove the gun we're, from them. We're almost out of time. It always goes by fast. But I, I do want to ask both of you real quick. Do you think the idea of arming teachers is something we should look at in North Carolina? Um, I do think that it's true that we should have um, um, guns in school, but they should be through a program that is established through North Carolina and should be an option for school boards, what do you not think, mandatory. Jay? I mean, as a general rule, I don't think that's where we need to have our conversation on protecting schools. As you mentioned in your, uh, your opening comments, 78% uh, of teachers think that's a bad idea. And I think we should look at school resource officers and other uh, efforts in protecting schools outside of Army. Thank you, you know, Keith, we already have guns there. We have them with the SROs, right. school resource officers. Right. Well, well, I appreciate both of you coming in and talking to us about right, well. it. A lot, a lot going on. School walkout day this week, big rally next week, and your committee meeting. So we're looking forward to And thanks for coming on. We'll, we'll have you back on to talk more about it as we move forward. Well, thank so you thanks for so what much. you do for education. Thank you, thank you, Representative Johnson. All right, when we come back, we're going to turn our attention to the Department of Public Instruction and its role in school safety and also talk to a researcher about what some districts are doing already. As we go to break, see if you can answer this question. True or false, in North Carolina, it is illegal to carry guns inside of any school, public or private, unless you're law enforcement or campus security. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer true? It remains illegal to carry guns inside of any school, public or private, unless you're with law enforcement or campus security. 
People with a concealed carry license can store guns in their car at all public schools, and a 2013 law also lets counties set up systems for people to volunteer as gun-carrying school guards. Stanley County actually just became the first school system just in the last week to begin asking for volunteers, and Rockingham County has said it may pursue it as well. We're going to continue our discussion about possible policy changes to protect students. We have two great guests joining us. We have Dr. Anna Yaros. Uh, Dr. Yaros is a research clinical psychologist at RTI International. Uh, she's been doing a lot of uh, uh, interesting work around uh, school violence, uh, actually some work in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools, which we'll talk about with you. And then Dr. Ben Matthews making a return visit to Education Matters. Uh, Dr. Matthews is the Chief School Operations Officer at the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction and as part of his purview is, the, is North Carolina Safer Schools and the division that looks at things like school safety and school security. So let's, let's start with you first, Dr. Matthews. Uh, actually, Senator Chaudhary mentioned something about you know, reports and sort of what we're doing. I guess, you know, the, the safe, it was safe and healthy schools division, safer schools, I mean, that's, it's been around for some time. Is that something that has changed with the times? I mean, obviously we're, when you think about security, a lot of things changed after 9-11, yeah. these mass shootings. Are we as a state um, keeping up with the times? I think we're as a state leading. Uh, we, we, we've been in the business for a long time, over 20 years of building buildings that are secure. I, I tell people I know how to build a fort. The interesting thing, after 2013, the Connecticut shooting, it became very apparent that we needed to look at the mental health, the softer side, if you will. The Center for Safer Schools was established in 2013, and we went around the state and listened to the public and asked them what they really wanted us to be doing in terms of safety. One of the things that has come up uh, is to in increase the number of school resource officers. Senator Chaudhry mentioned that earlier. Uh, we have 1,167 uh, 1, uh, SROs in the state right now based on the most recent census, and 210 of those are funded by special legislation that was established again in 2013. Uh, Representative Johnson mentioned that as well. So earlier. these were changes that, that came out after Sandy Hook, yes, right? After the, 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 the horrible shooting there. I mean, these, these events, unfortunately, are, are, are becoming more prevalent, and but they also do tend to sort of spur on change. Um, now, with the facilities, like I said, you said you can build a fort. Of course, we also, you know, we've heard teachers say we don't want to, you know, we don't want our schools to look like prison camps. But I mean, Florida, they're talking about bulletproof glass, auto lock doors, steel doors. I mean, are we heading there? I think we are there. I think we've been looking at uh, bulletproof glass for some time. We've been looking at centralized entrances to buildings and security buildings and strengthening doors, locks. Uh, uh, again, fort-like things. If on the other side of that, we very, very clearly said and heard from the public, we don't want to build more prisons. Right. So we really, there's a real balance there to, to achieve that. Well, let's talk about that. You spend, uh, Dr. Yarish, you, some of your work is around uh, uh, school culture and climate, mm -hmm. right? And right. so how does sort of the sort of mental health and even the things that uh, the Dr. Matthews just mentioned, how does that play into what a school is like and whether you have these kinds of incidents. Sure, right. Um, so I, as Dr. Matthews alluded to, am a researcher on the softer side of uh, some of these issues related to um, school safety and should just say up front that um, the views I share are my own and not those of the Department of Justice from, from whom we receive funding. That's right, they, they fund, they, they, do some, they do some funding through our RTI to do some of this work. They right? do, they yeah. have an initiative called the Comprehensive School Safety Initiative which studies a number of things including uh, securing facilities but also mental health which is what our research is in in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools and I think 
um, that really is a key component. Um, our research shows that uh, mental health based in the schools can actually reduce aggression and uh, violent behaviors um, if, if uh, mental health providers are able to reach the students that are in most need. Right. Um, Dr. Matthews, you're at the Department of Public Instruction. State Superintendent Mark Johnson um, came out pretty quickly after um, this sort of spun up and said he didn't support arming teachers. But I know that he's also working with you and the, and the rest of the department. So what are y'all's priorities? I and mean, we've got the legislature with their, they're going to look at laws, but the department is going to, has things they're going to do regardless, right? So what are you focused on? Uh, the department is going to suggest uh, strengthening the mental health issues. We're looking at mental health first aid, looking at uh, additional, poten potentially additional school counselors, school uh, psychologists, social workers, uh, school nurses. All those things are on the table for conversation. We're also looking at uh, strengthening our crisis response. One of the things we did after 2013, we established a process in North Carolina for every school to have a lockdown drill. We have a full-time person related to that. We've ensured that all, actually all public schools have had the training in the charter schools. And it's have, they had that in 2013-14, they had it again in 15-16. And we're constantly updating that. So that's something that we really look at. We're looking also looking at an anonymous reporting app. Okay. Now that is a crucial thing. We really believe if, if, if children have can know that they're anonymous and reporting something, they'll be more likely to tip it. One key message here, hear something, say see something. something, say something. Right. We really have to get that message out. That could have really made it maybe uh, felt Of course, we need, to work on the, we need to work on the response side, too. If we say something, that, something, that uh, yes. someone does something, exactly. too, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. I want to talk to you and wrap up with you, Dr. Yaris, about the mental health part. What is the biggest challenge? Is it just the lack of resources, not having enough? Um, like, we don't have laws that say we, every school has to have a school psychology. I mean, right. do you think it's just access? I think that's a great question. I think that is what our research is showing that that is key, um, that a lot of providers, school counselors, school psychologists, are coming to us and saying we don't have time, we don't have uh, the resources to address the needs of all the students. Um, and so access to uh, services both in and outside of school I think continues to be a real challenge. Yeah, here's something uh, someone asked me the other yesterday and I, and I wanted to ask you about it. That do, do parents and sometimes not really understand, I know the, the school psychologists are stretched, but I've heard sure. that they don't even really understand that those services are available. They, they kind of look at school psychologists right. as kind of like screeners for, for issues, but, they, but there actually are, when you have them, can actually do some real uh, counseling and work, right? That's right, that's right. In our research, uh, especially in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools, um, they have uh, providers based in the school actually doing therapy with students during the school day. And I don't think that all uh, parents have the knowledge about that. And so certainly expanding that and getting the word out right. is key. Well, it sounds like, it. I mean, we've been hearing it's many things, you know, and, and I think that's where we are, right? It's that we need to, it's, it's an issue, you know, and I think it sounds like we're going to, uh, both from the state department, uh, great work going on at RTI and the legislature, we're going to at least, we're going to do our best. We're going to see what we can do with it. So Absolutely. I appreciate both of you coming on and, and sharing your thoughts with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight.
Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Dr. Anthony Graham from North Carolina A&T's College of Education. Take a look. The College of Education at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. major program is our teacher education program. But we've been fortunate in the last 24 months where we've been able to procure right around $10 million in grants. And the primary focus of all of those grants really focuses on how can we increase the number of teachers who serve our state of North Carolina. We're really looking at using the, the medical model where the classroom teacher or the candidate is in the public school every day, Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. until 5 o'clock in the afternoon, really learning beside a veteran classroom teacher. Uh, what makes us unique is our focus on equity, access, and advocacy, specifically looking at our rural communities, understanding that unfortunately there's inequity. We want to make sure that regardless of whom we produce, they can walk into a community and really do an analysis of that community, understanding what the resources are, what the assets are, and then begin to work with the people within that community to help empower what happens in their communities. And then asking the critical questions, what can we do, whether it's through practice, through research, or through policy, to begin to address those inequities so that we're helping individuals get the resources they need so that they can succeed in their community. About 80% of our classroom teachers nationwide are Caucasian. So our job is to try to increase the number of ethnic racial minority teachers. So one of the things that we're intentionally trying to do is make sure that A, we tell the story of what it means to be an educator. When you look at many of our millennials and what they're committed to in terms of social justice and uh, fight for freedom and equity, their mission, their belief lines up very well to what it is we do in education. So we're trying to make sure that we're, that we're celebrating the successes, not only of our alumni and the people in our programs, but all of our educators across the state of North Carolina. Oftentimes the community is not very familiar with what it is we do in the classroom. So we're trying to make sure that our candidates understand that you just don't teach the classroom, but you're teaching the community. So how do you now engage those individuals at the local barbershop? How is this a communal effort to educate rather than just an individual to educate? If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org, and click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. One of the things that the public school forum always encourages policymakers to do is listen to educators when making education policy. Seems rather obvious, doesn't it? The fact is teachers often don't have much of a voice when it comes to policy decisions that directly affect them. Yet as we know, the teachers have the single greatest impact on learning and achievement in the school. Today we talked policy being proposed in the wake of the high school shooting in Florida. By an overwhelming majority, teachers in North Carolina do not want to carry guns and be expected to engage in a gunfight with an active school shooter. We should listen to them. In Florida, we saw a well-trained veteran police officer refuse to enter the school during the shooting. Do we really believe classroom teachers are better equipped and better trained to do so? 
in the chaos and confusion that happens in that kind of incident, what are the chances innocent children and other school staff will be killed in the crossfire? Don't we already expect too much from our teachers to add this to? The other group that we should be listening to are students. We had two wonderful students on last week and we're taping the show this week during National Walkout Day and there's also a major march in uh, Washington, D.C. on Saturday, March the 24th where tens of thousands of students are expected to descend for what's being called the March for Our Lives. This effort was started by survivors from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and it aims to pressure Congress to pass stricter gun control laws. Just like the two students we had on last week, our children deserve to be heard. They have concerns, literal concerns, about their very lives and are really making, the, you know, really in some ways becoming the conscience of the country and their lives depend on it. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next week for a brand new Education Matters.